Right now on Matter of Fact, we're on the last leg of our road trip across America. And you're losing money every day. You can't pay a driver enough because of what he's got to go out and pay at the grocery store. Asking voters if the country is headed in the right direction. People trying to infringe their rights and their beliefs on others, I don't think that's an American ideal. What Americans have to say about the best route forward. Plus, when Hurricane Ian came aground in Florida, it destroyed lives, homes, businesses, and polling places. We could not staff 97 sites. A lot of the polling locations aren't even there. The efforts underway to help displaced voters cast their ballots. And a visit to a Bronx kitchen. If we help the people with to have the least, everybody else is gonna benefit from it. Meet the undocumented restaurant owner who wants everyone to have a seat at democracy's table. Soledad O'Brien, welcome to Matter of Fact. We're now just days away from the midterm elections. Tightly contested Senate races are playing out in several states, including Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Surveys of registered voters show issues like the economy, abortion, and crime will determine the choices they make at the polls. After the 2020 presidential election, our correspondent Jessica Gomez embarked on a road trip, traveling along I-70 from Colorado to Missouri and talking to people about what it means to them to be an American. Well, last week she picked up where she left off and talked to voters in Illinois and Ohio. Now, in the final leg of her journey, she's making stops in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Maryland, and once again, asking voters what matters most to them. In the battleground state of Ohio, the student vote is going to really impact the outcome of this election. A stop at the Ohio State University to hear what's on the minds of young voters like Miriam Ways. She's worried about her student loan debt. Being in so much debt just to get to the place that I want to be is a big issue for me. It's interesting to think that way. For Edward Bozick, it's the economy. People can't even go to the grocery store and afford things to, to live off, you know, for a week. And Haley Griggs from a family of four girls. Definitely abortion. Having three younger sisters and just thinking about them not being able to have a right to choose what to do with their own bodies. Back on the road, I-70 taking us east into West Virginia. We can do better, we have to do better. The city of Wheeling, built on coal and steel, but most of that has now gone away. Do you need anything? It's where we meet Lynn Kettler. Catholic charity is serving up breakfast to those in need. The need was so much greater than just serving the food. They needed a presence out here on the street that could love them unconditionally. Lynn and her cousin Susan Brossman started a nonprofit called Street Moms, bringing supplies and support to the homeless. Mostly mental illness, drug addiction. It's really bad. They were almost overwhelmed. With the homeless camps growing, the street moms say, some services that disappeared during the pandemic never came back. Opioid crisis, where's the money going? We're not seeing it trickle here to, to this little town where it's needed. Housing, 
try to get housing for some of these folks is nearly impossible. So people need to look for candidates that are willing to delve into these difficult topics and make America a, a place where everybody can live comfortably. From West Virginia to Pennsylvania. When people get free money, you don't have a working force. In Bedford, owner of this third generation family trucking company, James Wakeman. He has two trucks without drivers. I have trouble finding workers, period, whether they're good or bad. I just can't see how important people can fight over stuff that don't matter to where things that matter, they just can't get together. I think um, crime, especially violent crime, is a symptom of residual loss. The end of the road, Baltimore, Maryland. Here we catch up with Brittany Young and her group of dirt bike riders. Our program, How We're Making It Safer, is literally making sure kids pick up a bike and not a gun. I like that. The chemical engineer turned tech teacher created the nonprofit B360 a few years back as police started cracking down on dirt bike riders. Right, and so you ride two stroke, why? Because of the power. The young riders not only learn how to operate and fix the bikes, but in the colder months, take STEM classes. The skills that we're looking to grow in could be anything from manufacturing to electricians to mechanics to future teachers to chemical engineers. But revving the engines of change here, Brittany says, needs support. So I want to see candidates that are thinking about policies, not short term, but long term. So generations now and generations later and how they affect it. We look at the flag from different directions, but we're all looking at the same flag. Our final stop, Fort McHenry, where the War of 1812 against the British inspired the national anthem. So there would be 20 men that would sleep in this room. It's where we meet volunteer and history buff Perry Berman. This time 200 years ago, Congress was doing the same thing that we see today, no different. Perry, who wants to leave a better environment for the next generation, says we can learn from our history. The people back in 1812 had no idea that they were going to survive. They were just trying to figure out whether America was going to be on its own two feet. The message is we did it. We'll do it again. We're Americans. We're the home of the free and the brave. In Baltimore, for Matter of Fact, I'm Jessica Gomez. You can watch all three parts of Jessica's trip across I-70 on matteroffact.tv. Next on Matter of Fact, Hurricane Ian devastated parts of Florida, and poll workers there are facing challenges in the aftermath. Every staff member was affected by this storm. What's being done to secure the vote as cleanup continues? And later, we talked to the photographer who beat out thousands of entries to win the top prize with this photo and make history. You're watching Matter of Fact, America's number one nationally syndicated public affairs news magazine. It's been more than a month since Hurricane Ian hit Florida, destroying homes and displacing countless families. 
With the midterms looming, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis issued an executive order allowing new voting provisions for three of the most affected counties. The order includes changes to early voting, absentee ballot requests, and requirements for poll workers. One of those counties is Lee in southwestern Florida, which is home to Fort Myers, a popular beach destination where residents are slowly rebuilding their lives. Tommy Doyle is the Lee County Supervisor of Elections. Mr. Doyle, thank you for talking with me. Can you start by painting a picture, ticking off for us what obstacles you have to overcome at this point? We're trying to deal with trying to get people out to vote early. Because of the storm, we only have 12 sites available around the county. We don't want people to wait till election day because if they do, there may be lines and we're trying to avoid those lines. We had to go to the 12 sites because we could not staff 97 sites. And a lot of the polling locations aren't even there. A lot of the, our polling locations are churches. They're using those churches for relief for the people who have been devastated by the storm so they wouldn't be available. You've relocated those polling places. You've increased, I know, vote by mail. Why specifically were those things done? This model allows you to vote anywhere, any site on election day, so you don't have to go to your specific precinct to vote. Normally, either you use your last couple of digits of your Social Security or your driver's license if you've been displaced out of your home. How's that going to work? Their residence is still where their home was before Hurricane Ian, and they'll still get their ballot style for the precinct they live in. Describe for me if you've had any challenges with your your own staff, considering sort of just how, how much burden now is being placed on them. Every staff member was affected by this storm. I've had several staff lose everything. Their cars, their, their furnishing, their house were flooded. Poll workers, same thing. They're displaced and they, they've lost everything. We were lucky that no equipment was damaged. And we were far enough out to get everything planned, get our canvassing done, our testing done, so we could start early voting on, on time. How much off your typical turnout are you looking at right now? Right now, we're about 31% of the voters in Lee County have voted. And uh, we're expecting 50 or 60%. If the hurricane hasn't affected us too much, that's what we would normally have. Because it's far from normal where you are, I'm interested in understanding if you're worried about uh, people questioning the integrity of the election. I'm not worried about that at all because our election uh, is very secure. Of course, there's always going to be the people who are on that team the, of uh, election deniers, but I can guarantee that our election is safe and secure and our count will be accurate. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up. Promises, promises, promises. Fed up with broken promises, these Bronx residents are now taking matters into their own hands to end the cycle of poverty in their communities. We opened a restaurant because we were tired of getting exploited as undocumented migrant workers. And later, these rodents are not your average rats, how they're being trained to rescue people trapped in rubble.
York is a tale of two cities. While it's one of the richest cities in the world, it's also home to some of the poorest communities. The Bronx is one of the city's five boroughs. Latino, black, and Asian residents make up almost 90% of the population. In the Bronx, you'll find major hospitals, colleges and universities, and of course, the New York Yankees. Despite the billions of dollars that flow in and out of the Bronx, there are large areas where healthy food is scarce, incomes are low, and rent is high. Our correspondent Alexis Clark visited the Bronx to talk to people who are trying to lift their neighborhoods out of poverty. We are a family of undocumented migrants um, from Oaxaca, Mexico. We migrated in hopes of a better future. And we opened a restaurant by pulling all of our family's resources together because we were tired of getting exploited. Yahaira Saavedra and her family run La Morada, a Mexican restaurant in the South Bronx that opened in 2009. When you walk around the Bronx, you really don't see a lot of fresh markets and grocery stores. You described it as a food apartheid. We have one of the biggest food markets in the nation, and what we see is like trunks of food just leaving the South Bronx and going into the wealthier part of the city. According to the Food Bank of New York, nearly 1.1 million New York City residents are food insecure. That's around 12% of the city's population, and the lack of food accessibility has been magnified by COVID. We had folks who needed a pop plate of food just come in, and a lineup around the restaurant. And every single day, our food line just like doubled. So a friend of us opened a GoFundMe and they raised $45,000 within the first week. And that was enough for us to continue making soups. The Saavedra started what they call a mutual aid kitchen, which provides free meals and delivers to shelters and churches. They spend their own money buying ingredients from local street vendors and farmers in upstate New York and rely on donations and community partnerships. But their grassroots efforts are not enough to help the community gain a foothold in the economy. I think the Bronx's story of misinvestment and also disinvestment, it's a system of systemic racism, not of people's behaviors and choices. Yeah, the auto shops here. Michael Pardis is the executive director of the Bronx Cooperative Development Initiative a nonprofit that promotes wealth building for low-income people of color. Your mission is to create economic democracy. What does that mean? Economic democracy is racial justice, and when racial justice meets community ownership, we see community wealth building. New York, as we know, is a very wealthy city, but the Bronx is the poorest county in New York State. Why is there such generational poverty? People who own an asset who are able to take that housing and turn it into liquid or into equity, they're able to grow. They borrow against it to send their kids to college. They borrow against it to buy second properties. When we rent, we often don't have that. The BCDI is one of more than 1,000 nonprofits in the Bronx, but Pardis says they can't do it alone. Elected officials have to share in the responsibility. What I would like to see is local government at the municipal level, the county level, and the state level all work together towards bringing the type of large billions of dollars of investment that the Bronx needs. When you look at some of the numbers, activism and, and voting participation remains low. Some of what leads to voter disengagement is when people have seen public policy and legislation not meet their needs. There's a moral and economic argument to prioritize those who have not only the greatest need, but those who have proven to have 
the most value. Our Bronx residents bring a lot of value. They just have been underinvested in. The Savager family knows firsthand how critical investment is in their community. So you had a GoFundMe yeah. and help from the community, but as an undocumented immigrant, you're not able to vote. What position does that put you in? We know that uh, food and security is also um, a cost of gentrification and people can't afford to meet their basic needs. So we're going to continue pushing and holding our elective accountables because we're still part of their constituents. I'm Alexis Clark for Matter of Fact in the South Bronx. Ahead on Matter of Fact, rats with backpacks? How these tiny creatures are being trained to save lives. And later, meet the photographer behind this award-winning image. To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv. When natural disasters strike, buildings often collapse and trap people in the rubble. Search and rescue teams work nonstop trying to locate survivors, but even those efforts aren't always enough. Now there's new technology to help find victims that enlists the unlikely help of rats. A Belgian nonprofit called Apopo is equipping rodents with tiny high-tech backpacks. I know, it sounds like a joke. But these aren't typical rats, they're African giant pouched rats. They weigh about three pounds and they're two to three feet long. They have a longer lifespan, twice as long as the common brown rat. The rodents are being trained in Tanzania five days a week in 15 minute sessions. And that training involves the rats finding the victim, pulling a switch on their vests. Yes, the rats have to do that. The technology in the backpacks then triggers a beeper and then the rat returns to base. It's estimated that it's going to take at least nine to 12 months to train each rat. There are plans to improve the technology. I am not making this up. This is a serious attempt to solve difficult problems. In addition to being trained for human rescue, they're also learning how to detect landmines. Still ahead on Matter of Fact. I came across these bees by accident. This award-winning photographer talks about the moments just before taking this incredible image. And finally, something dramatic and beautiful. The UK's Natural History Museum announced the winners of its Wildlife Photographer of the Year awards. Top prize went to American Karen Eigner for her creation, The Big Buzz. The picture shows a buzzing ball of cactus bees on a Texas ranch. As a wildlife photographer, I spend a lot of time sitting and waiting and listening and watching and using blinds. But this was different because I came across it by accident. So I just got on the ground in the middle of, you know, this activity and, and tried to make pictures. And um, I was just hoping for the best at that point. Eigner is only the fifth woman to collect the highest award in the competition's 58-year history. The winners were chosen from more than 38,000 entries from 93 countries. The top photos are on display at the Natural History Museum in London through June of next year. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and I'll see you back here next week. Listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI and YouTube.